Welcome to Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to navigate the workplace, business, and your career with a little more ease and a lot less angst so that you can write your own success story. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck. I'm a business and career strategist and founder of Jacqueline Beck Consulting. On this podcast, we talk to business professionals from all backgrounds, all industries, and all walks of life to learn how they've navigated their own journeys to success and what they've learned along the way. Hopefully, you can listen and learn from their lessons so that you don't have to go through the hard part yourself. On today's episode, we have attorney Shara Pipitone. I met Shara because we actually overlapped at a company together. We worked together, and I was really struck by her strength. And in this episode, we really delve into the importance of being true to yourself and trusting your gut. I would say everything with my career, I've listened to my gut, which I think is a really hard lesson to learn because I think older generations have kind of always said, you know, stay where you are, find the mentors, you know, you're not right. Everyone else is right. Um, and I, all my moves from firm to firm, you know, in-house, back to private, have been listening to what I have felt was best for my career. In particular, we talk about her pivots through big law, taking lips of faith, when you actually need to push yourself to make a change, and setting yourself up for success. So a lot of things that are relevant outside the legal world as well. Let's get into it. We are here today with Shara Pipitone. Hi, Shara. Hi, Jacqueline. So excited to be here. So excited that you are here. I know. We've it's been a long time coming, I feel like. We've talked about this for a while. We have. Yeah. Frankly, I have no sense of time right now. No, zero. Zero. Always. And I'm in a postpartum haze. Um, I had my second 12 weeks ago. So time has literally no meaning to me at the moment. Which I can't even believe. That's <laughs> I the case. I know. You seem like you're doing great. Yeah, you know, seconds a little bit easier. Seconds, yeah. Well, a little bit like from you your lips to, to God's ears. I guess exactly. <laughs> I know. For now, we'll see. How we'll see. In an hour when I get home. <laughs> um, well, by way of background, Shara is an attorney. She specializes in commercial real estate transactions. As she just said, she is a mom of two. She's had a great career thus far, and there's a lot of different angles that we can dig into. So, Shara. Welcome. Thank you. So happy you're here. So excited to be here, truly. Do you mind walking us through your background a little bit? Yeah, no. So I went to University of Florida Law School, practiced in Miami for about five and a half years doing, as Jacqueline said, commercial real estate transactions. So working with investors, developers, and acquisitions, dispositions, lending, finance, all that fun stuff. Um, My husband and I left Miami right before COVID, February 2020. Timed it well. Timed it super well up to Delray when I joined a uh, private equity, a real estate private equity firm in-house for a bit. Found out I was pregnant with my first April 2020. And then life happens and actually decided to go back to private practice. So I'm currently at a wonderful firm, Smith Gambrell Russell. And I pretty much do, you know, commercial real estate transactions, uh, any type, uh, you know, helping a lot of investors, trying to find recession-proof investment opportunities. And yeah, no, I've been very blessed, very lucky in my career for sure. 
That's the interesting thing with law. Yes. Is that there tends not to be a lot of pivots in terms of subject matter. No. You really, you know, I think earlier on in your career, you can pivot, right? Transactional litigation. But I've been, you know, I graduated August. Well, no, I passed the bar in September 2015. So I've been in this world of real estate for almost eight years, I would say at this point. I started out doing a very niche area of law, immigration program and investing, and then was able at a, you know, very early point in my career, realize I wanted a more general background. But that was all, you know, my guts. I, I would say everything with my career, I've listened to my gut, which I think is a really hard lesson to learn <laughs> because I think older generations have kind of always said, you know, stay where you are, find the mentors, you know, you're not right. Everyone else is right. Um, and I, all my moves from firm to firm, you know, in-house back to private have been listening to what I have felt was best for my career. And that first move was actually leaving the immigration real estate investment world to, it's called EB5, which we don't need to go into what all that is, and going to a more general commercial real estate practice, which set me up, which I believe set me up for success. I never wanted to litigate. I never wanted to be in court. I think in another life, I would have loved to be a litigator. <laughs> you know, I always thought that I wanted to. And then I did trial practice in law school. And then a jury member, like a 1L first year, called me a pit bull. And I was like, a pit bull? I swear to God. I don't know if it was because <laughs> this, new, you know, I'm from New York originally. So I don't know if it, this New Yorker and, you know, a Florida, a very Florida. Yeah, but fifty percent of Florida is New Yorkers, but not up, not outside of South Florida. Fair, <laughs> fair, fair. And UF is is even you know there's fair. people from all over. Fair, you're right. And UF. I, I was just like, oh, this is not this is not for me. Maybe in another state, another lifetime. My husband's a litigator. I let him do that stuff, and I just you know I like doing stuff on the outside, and then you know seeing that deal go through, and whatever happens after, I'm. I'm out of it. You're out of it. I'm out of it. Your hands are clean. But I love deals. I, you know, it, it's funny. And I think we both, right, have worked, you mean you, especially working, you know, in a bank, but we were in a very male dominated field. Yeah. But I've kind of, all, I don't know. I've, I guess I've always liked that to a certain extent. I, it's, it's funny. I just fell into it. My first, my summer job before my third year of law school, I was interning, I guess, externing is the proper word. Um, cause you don't get paid, you get credits <laughs> at a, a firm in Miami who I eventually worked for my first year out of law school where I did the EB5 work, had a great, you know, great mentor. Um, he was top of the field in EB5 and he, I, he sat me down like the first or second day I was there as a summer and he's like, you, you're going to be transactional. Come with me. And like from then on, so it was, you know, like I always say, like, it was like higher power, just kind of pick the path for me, but I love it. It's great. Well, so. sometimes people see things in you that you don't know yet to see in yourself. For sure. And then it's, it's on you to decide, I think, you know, do I like this? Do I not? That was the first, I mean, I loved it up until a point where I was doing such niche work that I, as a first year, I really needed to get a more general like purchase and sale agreement um, vibe, but no, it's, it's, you're right. It's something you have to take the opportunities that are given to you though, and then run with it. And that's kind of what I've done. I feel like, well, I want to dig into this concept of specialist versus generalist. Yeah. 
because it's a topic that comes up a lot. Oh, for sure. Is it better to specialize or is it better to be a jack of all trades and a master of none? And so I'm curious your thought process in terms of stepping out of something very specific. I think when you're first starting in any field, I think you need to become a generalist. Why is that? Because I think you need, so like I'm looking at this from a real estate transactional world, but let's say, you know, in real estate as a whole, let's purchase and sale agreements, right? And you're representing a developer client or an investor client, you know, there's diligence, there's financing, there's lending aspects of that. You want that baseline because in, in what I do, I'm a deal attorney. So I need to be able to run a deal from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hypothetical I'm giving, I'm representing the buyer. Right. But you also need experience representing the seller. It also helps to have experience representing the lender. Because when you're marking up those loan documents with your buyer, borrower head on, having that lender experience, knowing what they're going to accept, what they're going to reject, why a provision was drafted the way it was, that helps so much. So I always, at least in what I've done, I think starting out and getting as much experience as you can was really beneficial for me because then when I eventually maybe, I don't want to say specialize, commercial real estate, I think is a specialty within real estate world. So for, you know, in Florida, for example, you could be a real estate attorney, but you're specialized in condo law. You could be a real estate attorney, you're specialized in Con, uh, board, condominium boards, um, right. lending, you only represent banks as your client. I probably, when I joined, when I went in house became a little, probably a little bit more specialized on the borrower buyer side, but I love lending work. And I, I think that was a very attractive feature for when I interviewed for well, that job. I think what you're saying is being able to walk in someone else's shoes and oh, yeah. understand the way and their perspective. Exactly. Exactly. Going back to the drum I always beat right. on this podcast, but understanding the other person's perspective, their expectations, their needs, mm-hmm. their wants yep. allows you to be more effective in whichever of those roles you're in. Right. Because you're able to almost get ahead Right. Of the question. And I mean, you know, to go back to your original question, generalization versus specialization, you pick a specialty starting out, you know, in the general, you can't really, I would, in law school, I never would have known how to specialize until I was in it and what the specialization opportunities were, I guess. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm coming from a place where I think having a good Foundation. Foundation is is important. I think my opinion on the matter is it depends on who you are. Well, yeah. No, of course. Of course. Yeah. And, but I learned that, I think, through my own journey. So when I first got out of school, I went into private banking, which is right. basically, you know, wealth management for the uber wealthy. Right. right. <laughs> um, and I realized very quickly I did not like the stock market, which was a fundamental issue right. for dealing in wealth management. Oh my God, I'm sure. Um, and I got an opportunity to go into real estate. So that was a step toward the specialization, mm-hmm. right? Because it was mm-hmm. a specific asset class. Yep. I was very fortunate to be at a really big bank that had every asset class under the sun. Right. 
And so I had those opportunities at my fingertips. And once I got into the specialized asset class, I didn't want to specialize more. That's I liked yeah. being able to do everything. I guess, you know, it's transactional law. So I think real estate and corporate work kind of go hand in hand. You know, if you're an investor and you have a developer partner, there's a joint venture agreement. Um, and I have had, I've been able to get that experience. I know how to draft an operating agreement. I know how to negotiate a JV agreement. Do I like doing it? No, I much <laughs> prefer, right? drafting a purchase and sale agreement or marking up loan documents or drafting loan documents. So I guess we're to that point. Yes, I guess I, but I know that from my general experience and, and on paper and when I'm, you know, I've interviewed, it's phenomenal that I have JV experience because in real estate, especially high-end real estate that I do, I'm, as I said, you know, I'm not, doing $500,000 deals, it's multi-million dollars. You need to have JV work because no one's just paying cash without any funding, you know, or lending uh, involved at all. Right. For those who don't know, JV is joint venture. Right. Sorry, JV. So partnership. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, LLC agreement. (laughs) So I, I think it depends what you do. You didn't need to have, I guess, different experience once you had picked. So I mean, see, I disagree. Okay. It's interesting. So I was just about to say that I did what I called the world tour of the real estate group. Right. So I did acquisitions where I would go out and I'd find the buildings. Mm -hmm. I did asset management where I would go and I would operate the buildings. Yeah. I did capital raising where I would go out and raise the money for the fund vehicles that were buying the buildings. Mm -hmm. Um, I did fund management which was the strategy work behind actually building out the vehicles and building out the platforms to be able to invest. Right. And I think for me, I liked getting the experience and everything because I never wanted, there's something probably psychological behind this, but (laughs) I never wanted to feel like I didn't know what was going on or anyone could poke holes in my knowledge base. Like I was coming from a place of knowledge. I had done it. Because you're, I mean, right. We're women in a male dominated field. So I feel like maybe there's a part of that, but it's funny because you're saying all these different aspects. And I know this when we were in house, um, that for me is a full deal. Right. I'm so like, I've done all the different documents that you're, I mean, documents in my head. That's so I'm thinking a property management agreement when you said, um, asset management. Right. 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 So the disposition, the sale, you know, I've done that all, but for me, that's one deal. Well, I already have experience, you know, exactly. Exactly. And frankly, it's helped me in my personal life. Oh yeah. I'm sure. Knowing my way around a legal document yep. has served me in more ways than I care to say. It's, you know, it's so, I can't even tell you the number of times I have friends who ask me to like read a provision of something. And it's true. There is a really, it's a life skill, I think, yeah, to read a legal document and understand. And, and once you get to the bare bones of it, it's pretty simple. Things don't have different meanings. No. It's probably the most, I don't know, straightforward, unless it's intentionally not. Uh, which happens a lot, but yeah, no lawyers. Everyone always asks me my advice on things. I'm like, I don't know. I am not, I don't do family law guys. Let's <laughs> pivot. <laughs> well, I want to go back to something you said about trusting your gut and trusting yes. your intuition. Yes. That's something that's very difficult to do. It is incredibly difficult to do, especially in the perfect, I mean, per, I think personal, right. I have friends who spend 
eight months figuring out what color bridesmaids dress they were going to have their friends wear in their wedding. So when you apply it to a professional setting, I think it's even harder. I don't think it's a skill that's taught. I think generations, as I had said previously ahead of us, like the thought of, I mean, people say jumping ship, right? But the thought of moving jobs, you know, no one did it. It was people stayed where they were for decades. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that is because unfortunately, maybe, you know, you find the right mentor who doesn't give that advice, but I think a lot of advice given at least to young lawyers is, you know, it's not personal, just everyone goes through it. Keep your head high. It's all going to work out in the end. And sometimes it's not, it's not good advice for different situations. Um, that's lesson I definitely learned, have learned many times over that, if something doesn't feel right to you for whatever reason, you maybe you just don't like the work you're doing or something even more egregious happened. You got to listen to that gut. And a lot of times for me, I've always felt that the times that I have decided to move on from where I was working at the time have furthered my career. How did you build the confidence to listen to that gut instinct? <laughs> a lot of tears. <laughs> <laughs> Always second guessing myself. No, I mean, I still do that to this day. I, I don't know. I think I'm very fortunate. I've always been confident in a school academic setting. Um, and I think maybe that carried on a little to my professional life and not, I mean, as a young attorney, no, but there were frustrations that had happened early on in my career that I did see as impediments, um, impediments. Gosh, can I speak? (laughs) <laughs> roadblocks um to successfully growing at firms. Yeah. Um I'm also fortunate that you know I went to UF law which is the best law school in the state. I was on law review. So I always I also always knew and what I did real estate transactional work South Florida is always on demand. Right. So when I did move early on in my career there were reasons that I knew I could and got I never left without a job. I mean I I've had very easy um you know, recruiting, I guess, uh, job searches, but yeah, no, I I think unfortunately I've been in a few positions where I was not given a choice where I had to leave. So I had to be confident in myself that what had happened, the reasons I was leaving, I need was, you know, I needed to leave period point blank. Yeah. Um, but I also, and I think this is a really important thing, you know, mentors are one thing, but I think finding people, your colleagues who are your age, who go, going through it at the same time are also really, it's really invaluable. Um, you know, I went to law school. There were 300 kids in my class. I have my best, best friends from law school and I'm able, we don't work at the same firm. So when something happens, I'm able to call them and just talk it out as, you know, my con- fellow contemporaries, you know, eight were class of 2015, class of 2016, and say, what what should I do? Because I can't decide if I'm looking at this from a rational, you know, emotionless point of view. It's a gut check. A gut check. And I, I think those are really important, um, you know, or mentors, I would say, outside of your your current job are very important too. A hundred percent. Mentors within the firm company 
are important for navigating the culture and stuff. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty, you got to go outside always. Well, I think that speaks to considering the motivation of whoever you're speaking with. Yes. Right. And when you, first of all, there's so much in what you said that I want to dig into, (laughs) but when you think about mentors, yes, there's a lot of conversation around mentorship versus sponsorship. Oh, completely. Right. I think it sponsors someone who's within the organization and can help promote and propel your career forward. Right. Who's speaking on behalf of you. Right. Yes. A mentor is somebody who can give you advice, Mm -hmm. who can help you gain clarity when you're in a haze. Yep. And those people can be within an organization or or outside of an organization. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really fantastic point, which is also having your contemporaries. I look back on my career and my analyst class or that original cohort of analysts and associates that I would be at the office until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night with. Yeah. I still talk to them all the time. Of course. Of course. And when I'm considering pivots or changes, I talk to them all the time because you also know those people on a very different uh, familial level. It's different. It's, it's a different type of relationship. No, I agree. I mean, in the legal world, a lot of my friendships are ex-colleagues. Right. You know, I mean, we've all moved, whether they're at still at the firm we were together with or out of, I, we constantly pick each other's brains, check in, you know, six months ago, I haven't heard from so-and-so. Let me just shoot a text, say, hi, what are you doing? Um, both from a professional and personal yeah. aspect. I think it's really important to keep those relationships strong. Um, but no, completely. Cause that's, who's going to give you the, you need, it, it's very, I've learned this with lawyers because I, you can be in the legal field and, you know, talk to me about what you do, compensation, whatever. And I get it. If we go outside of law, I cannot understand a word of what anyone does. I guess doctor, right? I get that real estate because I was a lawyer for the type of work you do. I get that. But everything else, I have no business giving anyone else advice if they're in marketing or PR, right? That's not, I don't get how those companies are run. I I don't understand the ins and outs, but law, law, big law, I get it. Right. So it's also somebody who understands the context that you're living in. Oh, completely, completely. They say the the fish don't know the water they swim in. It's someone who understands the water. Exactly. A hundred percent. Well, and it sounds like every time that you've pivoted and you've trusted your gut, you A, had this gut check Mm -hmm. that you would go to, and then B, you mitigated your risk in some way. You either never left without a job or you did something to make sure you weren't going to fall flat on your face. Yeah. Right? And then C, I think at the end of the day, some of this does just boil down to a leap of faith. Oh, completely. Completely. I think every time you move it's a leap. You're taking a leap of faith on yourself and where you're going. Um, you know, I, I think the number one, you should never leave a job without another job. I mean, unless there's some unique circumstance where you're fine taking off a few months and you, you really, if you want to work again in the same, I think caliber of where you're leaving, you should always have that job in the back of your pocket. Um, that's just, I mean, that's my advice from day one. Yes, I think leap of faith is really important. I've never left for another place without reaching out to people I know 
who used to be there, who had worked there, who are familiar, you know, with the firm or something. You have to do some diligence on your end. Spoken like a true lawyer. Right. Yeah. No, always. But yeah, no, I I don't think I've ever been a hundred percent that things are going to work out. I'm never, I I don't know how you can be, especially after some experiences that I've had. Um, I'm always scared. I'm scared. I'm confident in myself. I think that's, I know I'm good at what I do. I know I'm personable. I know my colleagues will like me, right? There's two aspects to it. So I know that no matter where I end up, circumstances aside, whatever maybe happened, that I'm going to do my best work and my best work is going to be good enough. That going into the confidence, you know, conversation that I, I kind of had referenced before, you have to be confident in yourself. I, I think the people who stay when they needed to have left, it's because they're not confident in their work. They don't think they can get a job. They don't think they can interview. They don't think they'll impress someone else. You, you've got to be confident in your abilities. Easier said than done. Of course. Oh my God. Of course. So how do you build that confidence? by work. Right. I wouldn't have, I don't think I was confident when I was a second or third year, but now, you know, almost eight years into my career. Yeah. I can say that I, I know what I'm doing and there's a lot that I don't know. I think, you know, and this is kind of pivoting, but I think success at work means knowing what you know and know, and, but it's more important to know what you don't know. Yeah. I agree with that. And being honest about that, I think from the start. So you know, and I've interviewed, I'm very confident in what I know. And if they ask, you know, corporate work, SEC filings, no, I I've never done that before. And I, I'm not going to pretend that I have. I, confidence is such a hard thing. It's so hard. And it sounds probably like I'm preaching a little that I'm confident in myself, but it, it, it is true. Well, you build it over time. You build it's it like a time. muscle. Yeah. Right. It it's reps. To, yes. It has to become muscle memory to a certain extent. Well, and I think so. You're reminding me of a very wise woman I know, and I often invoke this very wise woman on the podcast. And she always says, make a list of things where you've proven to yourself that you're capable of X or you're capable of Y, right? All the times you've taken care of yourself, all the times that you've spoken up against something you didn't think was right, whatever it is that you need to build confidence in, even if it's, you know, make a list of all the things that you've done at work Mm -hmm. that show the real practical things that you've accomplished That's why I was always a fan of keeping my to-do list in Excel. Oh, I like that. So I always had a completed tab. Right. I know this is my dorkiness coming out. (laughs) And, but then if I'd be like, what did I do this year? Especially around review time. Of course. I would go down and I had an entire running list of everything that I did and every transaction I worked on and every analysis that I had gone through. And there is an element of looking at it on paper in front of you where you go, Holy shit. I've done a lot. Completely. I know a lot more than I think. See, we have timekeepers. So I just get my, you know, write up at the end of the year and see what deals I close. But no, I mean that I, every time I've had to update my resume, I think that's where I have the, oh, I'm going to be okay moment. Yeah. Um, Seeing the proof in the pudding on paper. But that comes with, you know, it, it, that takes a while. It comes with experience. It, you know, it comes with failure. Yes really heavy markups of things that I've done, red ink everywhere. I mean, from the old school partners who still, you know, mark up documents that way. No track changes. No track changes. Right. For some. Dorky joke number two. Yeah. It takes, it takes time. No, it, it really does. I think being able to listen to your gut takes time, but that's, you know, find, at least find the helpers. I think that's a saying of someone, but you do, you have to find the people that you trust 
to have these hard conversations with bounce ideas off of. I mean, I three weeks ago called one of my best friends from law school just and I'm on maternity leave just to like talk about something that had happened. It's important. It's, right. it's so important not to have the people you can talk to. Well, and have people who are going to give you a different perspective and people who are going to give you the truth. Oh yeah. You need someone who, you know, will give you the hard truth, nothing but the truth, but is also looking out for your best interests. Yes. And you can't live in an echo chamber or else you never grow. Never, never. And I'm thinking as you're talking, if you have confidence in yourself, where's the rub, Right. right? Then it's the environment. Of course. Of course. And that's, I think what you're talking about is at every step of the way, evaluating what's important to you at that specific time. Right. And what you want your life to look like, which I think is a great transition. Yes. Into motherhood. Yes. Congratulations on your second. Thank you. It's yeah, been great. Two, two and two years is wild. I never thought that would have happened to me, but God bless you. (laughs) Yes. God bless you. (laughs) But how, how do you think becoming a mother has affected the way you look at your career? Oh my God. Night and day. I think, you know, it's, it's such a loaded question. My goodness. I think your, your priorities shift. I'm in a very male dominated field. I mean, most of my conference calls are, I'm maybe the only one of two women on, you know, I, it's funny. I learned, I think in one of my transactional classes in law school, the piece of advice we were told is to check like ESPN every morning and the wall street journal just for the headlines. And I happen to be a a sports. (laughs) No, I happen to be a sports fan. So that's been very easy for me, but it, but it's true because especially as a woman in this field of, you know, commercial real estate, you want your voice to be heard, not just, you know, marking up a document. They want, you want them to like you. You want them to think of you when like something happens in the world. Like, oh, I have to talk, ask Cher about, you know, her opinion on this, whether it's the Mets or the Gators, my, my teams. But, and then I had a kid and I, I just remember thinking, I rem- there were a few reasons that I felt like the view of me as a professional had changed and we don't need to go into the specifics of that. But I hadn't even done anything. I was on maternity leave. And that just completely changed my whole outlook on my career because I realized that at the end of the day, my happiness is not going to come from my job. I mean, there's a fulfillment factor, um, but it's it's going to come from my children. And and when I was in after I had my first uh, my son, I got really good advice from someone where I was working at the time and. A lot of stuff had gone on and I unfortunately had to leave. And she told me, you know, when you, when you pass, your gravestone is not going to say anything about your job. It's going to say that you are a daughter, a wife and a mother. Yeah. And that just, that changed everything for me. Everyone is women. Can women have it all? I, I think you can have it all, but it has to be what it's, it's, what is your definition of all? Yeah. For me, you know, I'm very fortunate right now. I have a great job. I'm, you know, at a very sophisticated law firm doing everything I used to do, but I'm remote work from home full-time at full-time childcare, but I can pop in on my kids. I can take them to appointments without being gone for three hours of the day. And it's a whole to do. And then I can put, you know, have dinner with my kids, put them to bed, log on remotely and get my work done. Yeah. I'm good with that. I don't think I ever wanted, you know, to be the partner with the biggest book at the law firm, but I want to have a career. 
that's what changed maybe in my career is that I wasn't shooting for the stars anymore. I'm, I'm pretty good. I content where I am right now, not having a book or something. And that could change in 10 years. Who knows? But I have young kids. Well, you bring up the question of whether women can have it all, which right. is, I feel like we could do an entire oh my God. episode on that. Yeah. But in my opinion, I think it's a pendulum swing. Mm-hmm. I think you can have it all. It's just at what time and at what point. Oh, for sure. And someone once told me and gave me advice that there's a season to lean in and mm-hmm. there's a season to lean back. Yes. Yes. And they meant it, I think, from the context of coasting a little bit at work and just getting to a place and establishing yourself, which I'm just not the type of person who will ever be content with coasting. Yeah. The way I've taken it and the way I think I've interpreted it is that you create what your days look like. Yeah. And you can do that through various choices. Mm -hmm. The choice I made was to start my own business. Right. 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 Where I have a lot more control. For sure. The choice you made was to go remote so that you had a lot more control over your time. Well, it's, and it's funny, lean in, lean out. I was, you know, when I had my first at a very high stress, high, crazy hours job. And when it became clear that having had my son, you know, fundamentally for some reason changed who I was as a, uh, a worker, a coworker for, you know, whatever reason, I decide, I, I guess I decided to lean out. Maybe, I don't know. I went back to private practice, which I had never thought would be, I don't want to say easier. No job is easy, but for my lifestyle, at more the manageable, time, was more manageable. Yeah. Um, so maybe I have chosen to lean out at the moment. I don't, you know, I don't know. I still work really hard. Right. It's so it's, but is it a lean out? I don't know. Maybe not. It's just a for what right, you need I, right now. I like what you said about the pendulum swinging because I think for right now, my pendulum has swung a certain way and I'm so happy. I, I truly, I love my coworkers. I love the job I do. I love that I work from home and then, and I love my kids and I see them every day and I'm so involved in their lives. I mean, they're two in 12 weeks, so their lives are pretty small right now, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, so as I said, they could change, right, um, right. but no, I like for, for right now, I feel like, okay, I have it all. Like, this is good. When I became a mom, it surprised me the difference in the conversations people had with me. Oh, I know. I know. Not only about kids. Mm-hmm. Also, people who I've known my whole life, who always knew that I was very ambitious, who always knew that I was on this path. All right, so you're going to take some time off, right? You're yeah. going to, you're going to stay home. And I was like, I would go crazy at home. No, and that's more, me. That's more me. power. Let, let me tell you something. Stay at home. I need it's to say this. Job. Stay at home moms is the hardest I, job in the entire world. 100%. And I have so much respect for stay at home moms. Me too. I can't do it. No, neither can I. I would go crazy. I, no, I'm not cut from that cloth. I'm not either. And I, and it's, and it's funny you mention that because sometimes it's, I even sometimes feel embarrassed by saying that, depending on who you're talking to, I guess. What do you mean by that? That because, right, you had decided to have two kids at like a relatively, I think, young age for, you know, 20, 23 or whatnot. But I always, I, my career is just as important. You know, I I'll never saw myself staying at home. And I think that does surprise I think that a goes to people. identity. Yeah. Yeah. Right. How yeah. do you see yourself? Yeah, that's a good point. And some people, you know, 
quit the moment they're off maternity leave and that's how they see themselves. And as I said, you know, more power to them. Yeah, I could never. But I agree. It it changes. It, it's funny. I, I remember thinking someone once said to me after I had my son, um, you know, you have to like stand shoulder to shoulder with your coworkers and we're all, we're all in this together. And it's like, no, 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 we're not. (laughs) None of, you know, I can like do my work and still be a a mom. I I don't have to like choose choose and pick sides and pick loyalties. That's crazy. It was a gut punch when I had my son because I had worked, I felt like so hard to get to the point in my career where where I was at that time and deciding to have a child for some reason changed someone's perspective on me and my commitment to the job. But so maybe that's one of those gut checks I was talking about, right? Because I knew it was a lost cause and that I had to move on, but that was a hard one for me to swallow. Um, you know, the flight or fight mode people, I wanted to fight. I wanted to, but there comes a point where that almost is the worst thing for you professionally and personally, because that also taught me a really tough lesson. And I was at this point six or seven years in my career at the time that your only best advocate a lot is yourself. You can Mm. make all those personal relationships at work you know, you can think everyone loves you and that, oh, people, no, 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 no. You have to be your own best advocate. And that, and that sometimes let me, like for me, it meant leaving, even though like my, I wanted to fight so bad, but what would, what would that have done? Nothing. It wouldn't have accomplished anything. Ego. I would have been on, right. It is. I would have been unhappy. It would have affected my relationship with my kids. I mean, my kid at that point who was, you know, such a little, he was an infant. Um, and I, decided to move. And for me, it worked out. I'm very lucky. As I said, you know, I knew, I knew leaving wasn't getting the job for me. Wasn't the hard part. It was leaving and kind of, and honestly still dealing with like the residual trauma of all that happened after I had my son. But you know, now I'm, I just had my daughter 12 weeks ago and going back to work is like, I'm looking forward to it in two weeks. And it's such a different experience and I feel so supported and I know that I can just jump back in So, you know, sometimes you have to go through those like really, really hard times, I guess, to also figure out, like to learn how to listen to your gut, to learn when. And frankly, they can be confidence builders. Oh yeah. I think for me that looking back now, you know, I'm probably what two years out maybe from that whole thing. Yeah. No, I I think it it gave me a different type of strength, right? That I didn't know I had Mm -hmm. like a professional strength, I guess. I don't know. It sounds to me, at least what's resonating with me, is understanding your needs at a certain point in time, Mm -hmm. understanding your values and what's important to you, what you need from a value system perspective and what your deal breakers are. For sure. And also understanding that your identity is what you make it. Yeah. So you could see yourself one way. And again, this is a whole other episode. I think when you transition your life in some way. Like it was very hard for me to change my last name when I got married. Really? 
It was very emotional. Oh for my me. God. I did that like first thing. I did too. And then it was really weird. Wow. Okay. Because I went from being Jackie Weinman to Jacqueline Beck and I felt like I was a whole different person. Yeah. But, yeah. but again, it happens when you become a mother. And I think there are just these things fundamentally that tend to happen more so to women than to men. Just not to make it a massive generalization no. where your identity does go through a period of changes and they all happen to happen within a short relative period of time. A lot of the time. When you also just physically went through one of the hardest things that your body can do. Want to hear a fun fact? Yeah. I just learned that metabolically, okay. a pregnant woman runs a marathon every day yeah, of her sure. pregnancy. That doesn't surprise me at all. Like having gone through it, no. And and, and that's right. That's like the, such, I don't want the messed up part of it all is that we just did this such the hardest thing in the world physically. And then there's the emotional aspect to it. Like, whoa, who am I? I'm someone's mom now. Yeah. Although, I mean, the ident- as you said, the identity conversation after you have kids is like a whole other thing, let alone talking about how it affects your, you know, professional yeah. life. Um. And a lot of the times your feelings and emotions are after birth, you can't control it's all science. I mean, it is all science, right? hundred percent of it is science. I, you can't control it. Not at all. So it, it was shocking to me. I think I'm still shocked, honestly, by how, who you were, like how someone can look at you from a professional, professional perspective can change. I didn't think I changed. I, I thought I was, you know, still in the texting group chat of, you know, my work colleagues at the time, like day I gave birth, texted them all, but you know, you can't control other people. You can only control yourself and you can only control what you do when you find yourself in, you know, professional situations. And that's, you know, going back to it, that's where the sounding boards are so, so important. Yeah. And finding people to talk to. So Shara, yeah. It's rapid fire question time. Okay, go for it. I'm okay. Ready. What advice would you have for somebody who knows it's time for a pivot, mm-hmm. but is having trouble trusting their gut? Oh my God. Call, you know, it's funny. Call a recruiter. Um, I think even though they're looking out for themselves, I think the first thing you should do is figure out what the market is like. Um, because you don't want to decide in your head, it is time to leave when market wise, it is not. Great point. (laughs) Great point. Context is everything. Yeah. All right. Question two, take this however you will. Okay. What do you know now that you wish you knew back then? Who to trust in a job. hundred percent. How do you figure that out? Unfortunately through, you know, trial and error. I, I, less is more at work. Less is more. What do you mean by less is more? I think as humans, we're almost preconditioned to want to like be close with everyone at work. And, you know, everyone knows your life stories and a little anecdote. My, um, my dad passed away when I was 20 years old and I I was pregnant at the time when his 10th anniversary came up and I was a wreck and I should have just called out sick instead of actually giving the story of what happened because the response I got back was pretty brutal. And I should have just called out sick and I would have avoided it. So that's, that was a lesson I learned. Less is more. Less disclosure. Less disclosure. Oh yeah. More private, you know, privacy is something this day and age that we don't value. But I had thought that this, you know, manager person was my friend and no, 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 no. And that, but that was a lesson I had to learn. 
you know, right. Especially now today, social media, we share everything. We are preconditioned to share and be and think that the path to success is forming, you know, personal relationships with the people we work for. And maybe there's an, there, maybe there's a small truth to that, but they're going to treat you the same way, no matter what. So I have a tangential and maybe a little bit of a different view. I don't disagree with the disclosure aspect. I think there are certain things that are personal and need to be ma- maintained to be personal. Yeah. And I think I've overshared yeah. a lot in my career and yeah. I've had to rein it back. Um, I do think building personal relationships is fundamental and key. I just think the way to get there isn't necessarily to, personal. to show every exactly. all your cards. Uh-huh. And it's about maybe sharing, like, as I said, interests, sports, TV shows. That's the way to do it. But I had, that was, I think the response I got when I said why I needed to take the day was, oh, you should share with the team about what you're going through because it'll teach people stuff. And I was just like, dude, no, this this is not, no, 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 no. But it was, right, it was a lesson for me. Um, So, yeah, I think that's definitely the lesson I would give myself. People have to earn your trust. Yes, trust no one at first. Oh, my goodness. All right. Maybe I have a little bit of a different perspective. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm joking. I I just think it's, it's less is more. Less is less is more. Fair enough. Well, Shara, this has been a really, this is so fun fun conversation. Yeah. I feel like there's so much more. We can always, we can always do a part two. Always. But thank you for being here. Of course. And thank you for sharing all of your insight. No, of course. And as always, thank you to our listeners for joining us on another episode of Worked Up. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave reviews and connect with us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting on our website, www.jacquelinebeckconsulting.com or email us at info at jacquelinebeckconsulting.com.